16, through 34. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page number 792 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Somathras, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyteria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged him into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now when the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. The jailer called for lights and he rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. This is the word of God. Thank you, Susan. Susan just read for you some very familiar stories uh, about the Apostle Paul and his group of uh, missionaries when they planted a church in a town called Philippi. You may, if you're familiar with the Bible, know that there is a, uh, uh, a letter in the Bible written to the Philippians. 
In fact, it's probably one of the most favorite and beloved letters of the Apostle Paul. Many people like it very much. It's very a positive a, 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 a message, a, a, a letter, I should say, of joy and thanksgiving. And it's clear that the Apostle Paul really loved these people. He said to them, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He loved these people. And this uh, story that, uh, that Susan just read for you records for us how that church got started. Now, it's fascinating to me that the, church got, that the church gained traction in a culture which had no respect for it when, it was viewed, when its views were uh, considered to be suspect and a superstition at best and maybe even counter-revolutionary uh, at, at worst. Uh, and yet the gospel moved forward. In a lot of ways, the, the days were not much different than they are today. I mean, just this past week, the Atlanta fire chief was fired because of having printed some Christian views in a book a couple of years ago because, of course, he should not have any religious views, right? We live in a culture which tends to disrespect the Christian faith, and a lot of us moan and think that that's why the gospel doesn't move forward. And yet in the first century, the gospel moved forward in a far more hostile environment. So let's take a look at this story and see what we can learn. I only have a few moments because we want to make sure we end before the horns start to make noise. So if we get a little bit distracted at the end, we'll see how it goes. I want you to think, so look at these three stories that Luke, the, the writer of, the, of, of Acts, tells us. And these stories are representative of some of the people who came to faith there in that town of Philippi. This was the first foray of the gospel into Europe. So if any of you are of European descent, you know your roots go back to this story. These were the first uh, the first time that the gospel went into, uh, into Europe. And so we see that Luke uh, crafts three different stories. We're going to look at three first century conversions and three 21st century lessons, okay? That's what we're going to look at today. Three first century conversions and three 21st century lessons. Now let's look at the story together. And you have the, the, the text that Susan read for you, I think all of it, printed on the back of your message notes that are inside of the program that we gave to you today. We see that they've shown up in, uh, in, uh, uh, in, in Philippi area, and I want you to notice something. Verse 11 and verse 10 uh, uh, say, after when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and followed the following day uh, to Neapolis. If you're a careful reader and have been reading through the book of Acts, you see that now it's not they, but it's we. For the first time now, the writer says we. What does this tell us? This tells us that Luke, who wrote this, uh, this book, he was with them on this journey. And so I think this is one of the reasons why we have these three eyewitness accounts of incredible conversions, because Luke is probably a new believer himself. He's traveling along with them, and he is just uh, thrilled by the way these three different people respond to the gospel. Now, there are many people that respond to the gospel, and I believe Luke has chosen these stories on purpose because they're three very different stories of conversion. Let's take a look at these three first century conversions. First of all, the first story tells us about a wealthy businesswoman, the conversion of a wealthy 
businesswoman. If you're taking notes, that's what you want to put on the first, on the first fill in the blank. Notice what it says. And from there, verse 12, to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. So they're there for a few days. How are we going to reach this town? We know that God has called us to be in this town. Imagine you're like in Cave Creek, right? You've just shown up. They don't know anything about the God of the Bible. They don't know anything about Jesus. And you're just, just a few of us, four or five of us, we're showing up. No one knows about us. And we're scouting around the territory. wonder where we could first make a foray of letting people know about Jesus. What did they do? It says, we remain in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. What is this telling you? They went outside, outdoors, and had church, not in the synagogue, but by the river, just like you and me. They said, hey, I think there's some people who gather over there by the river. Well, what had happened was that in most towns, there were Jewish synagogues. And the Jews had been scattered all over. And uh, in most towns, the Apostle Paul and his band would go into the local synagogue and tell them about Jesus. But in Philippi, there weren't enough Jews to have a synagogue. There was very little influence about God, in that, about the God of the Bible in that, in, that, in, in that town. It was a Roman colony, proud of its Roman heritage. A little bit like people who live in Saudi Arabia but work for the government or work for the things, and they have their own little uh, United States enclave in the middle of that country. Some of you, got, my dad worked in that kind of setting once. You know, your own little thing. That's the way Philippi was. It was a Roman colony there in Turkey, okay? And, uh, uh, or excuse me, in Greece, excuse me. Uh, a Roman colony there in Greece. And so they, they're in this place. There's not enough people to have a synagogue, but there are some God-fearers who are meeting outside by the river. So they go out there, and it says there, we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Oh, this church sounds like it may have first begun when women responded to the gospel. And if you come around here enough, you know, I think we need to affirm how important women are in the gospel story. One of the great blessings of the Christian gospel is it raised the place of women, treating them as equal partners. Uh, uh, They're fellow heirs of the grace of God, and it was the church which gave them that opportunity. And so we see that the first and apparently most important person in that church was a woman named Lydia. Okay? A woman named Lydia. Look, go ahead. Let's see. There were women there there might have been men. They're not mentioned, okay? One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. What do we learn about this woman First of all, we see that she was a woman. She was not a man. She was a woman, okay? We also see that she was a businesswoman. Uh, she's not identified by a marriage. She's not identified by children. She's identified by being a businesswoman. And we see that she is a wealthy, independent businesswoman. Why do you know that? She was a seller of purple. And in that day, purple was the highest-priced fabric that you could get. The city of Thyatira was well known, uh, and it had a very active guild that related to uh, uh, clothing dyes. And so she was from Thyatira, which is over across the way in 
Turkey, okay? And she was over there, and she had access to this purple dye, this what would be called Turkish dye, we'd say today. You ever seen these Armenian rugs and the beautiful dyes that are in there? These go back for generations, a thousand years back. And so she had access to this very costly and valuable material, and so she was a broker for high you know, she was a clothing person, you would say, okay? So this person, which she was a religion, uh, she was a woman, she was a businesswoman, she was a wealthy businesswoman, but she was also a devout, wealthy businesswoman. She was a religious person. She was not Jewish herself, but she, like many non-Jewish people, had a real attraction to the truth about the one God who made the earth as opposed to the pantheon of gods who sort of fought with each other over the earth like most religions taught. No, they began to follow this Jewish God. She was not Jewish, but she was open and seeking and devout. She was a good, devout person, and she needed the gospel too. You know, in our days, a lot of times people, we feel as though, well, if I'm just good, if I'm just devout, if I just try to do the right things, try to be a good moral person, maybe that's all I really need. Well, we need to hear the message that Lydia heard that we need to respond to the gospel too. In fact, sometimes those of us who fancy ourselves relatively upstanding, good, upright people are the most resistant to the truth of the gospel, which says that we must repent and respond in faith to Jesus and what he has done for us. So the Apostle Paul shows up into this uh, Riverside church family. The church, they weren't the church at the chip. They were the church of the river or the synagogue, uh, the, the, the gathers the, by the river. And it says there, uh, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What do we learn about this woman's conversion? What we learn about her conversion, you can put this down in your notes if you like, is that she heard the gospel and her life was changed. She was changed by hearing the truth. She was a seeker after God. She was looking for truth. And when she heard the clear explanation about how the God of, of Israel had come in the person of Jesus and that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of all those stories that they were reading about in the Hebrew Scriptures that they were studying and that this Jesus had given his life as, the, for, as a sacrifice for their sins so that not only Jews but all people can come in by calling upon the name of Jesus Christ and be welcomed to God's family and be a part of God's new humanity, God's new community, God's ecclesia, God's gathered, uh, uh, called, gathered, sent community. She heard that. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. And what the word pay attention really kind of indicates, opened her, we could translate it, not literally, but the sense of it, opened her heart to see the beauty of what was said by Paul. To see the beauty. And if you ever really take a moment to look at the beauty of the gospel story of this God who loved us, set us free to even destroy ourselves, but now has rescued us through Jesus and brought us back to him, that these deep heart aspirations are not the fanciful ideas of our own hearts, but they resonate to something that's true about the world, that we are made to love and to live and to laugh, and that life has meaning, and there's something beautiful about that. And she was attracted to that message. The Lord opened her eyes to open her heart to the beauty of what was said by Paul and she responded in faith to the gospel. She responded to what I would call a rational presentation of the gospel. She heard the truth. 
She responded in faith to the truth. It wasn't a dramatic conversion, but it was real. You see, sometimes we think that uh, a conversion needs to be somehow dramatic, like the Apostle Paul's on the way to Damascus, visions and lights and great emotional experiences. Those things happen sometimes, but the true conversion is one that happens in my heart, and it can sometimes be very subtle, very non-demonstrative, and yet very real. So this is one way the gospel came. It came to a wealthy businesswoman. She heard with her ears the words of the gospel, and her life was changed. But that's only one story. There's the third, second story. And the second story is about an oppressed slave girl. An oppressed slave girl. As we were going, verse 16, to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul finally got tired of it. That's not what he says, but that's what it, Paul, becoming greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come, Christ, to come out of her. And he, it came out of her that very hour. So we have a second version, very different. On the, notice the extremes between this, these people. We have a woman at the upper echelon, high society type of woman. And then we have another woman who's a slave girl, who's de oppressed by demons and oppressed by people and by systems which keep her oppressed. We have a girl who uh, has uh, the spirit of fortune-telling. You need to remember that just be, uh, not every spirit is the spirit of God. Just because there are supernatural things doesn't mean it comes from God. It can come from demons as well as from the divine. So we need to be careful about this. This woman was spouting out information that was more or less sort of kind of almost true. It wouldn't have meant what it means to you and I, but it was annoying, and it was not really helpful. And in fact, it was coming through oppression over this girl. Yes, she was experiencing demonic oppression, and she was experiencing cultural oppression. She was a slave girl. We don't know anything about her. She might have been from Philippi. She could have been from anywhere. She might have been someone that you find wandering the streets at night in the downtown areas of Phoenix talking to themselves. Very different girl. And her conversion was very different than Lydia's. See, God comes to us in the way that best meets our needs. What did she did the Apostle Paul say to her, now let me tell you the story about Jesus. These are the four spiritual laws. Law one, God loves, you know. Did she talk to her? Did he talk to her? Did she respond in a rational explanation of the gospel? Did she hear the gospel? No. What she, actually what happened to her is she, ex, she, uh, she uh, experienced the gospel and her life was changed. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, come out of her, and a dramatic change happened to her as the Spirit of God set her free from the demonic forces that were controlling her, and she experienced the freedom of the gospel. Then later she could have been explained what it all meant, but what happened first was an experience, and sometimes that is how the gospel works. We don't always see, uh, understand it out there and respond to it, but we, see, we feel its effects in our lives. We come and we begin to sense a peace about God. We sense, we sense a joy about God. We sense forgiveness. We sense freedom. All these things begin to happen to us, and we think, I just have to respond to this God who has 
changed my life, brought healing into my life. This woman was converted very differently from the seller of purple, uh, Lydia, the one who sold purple. She had been, uh, uh, she had been uh, under oppression by demons and also by men who owned her and the system which supported that own ownership of her, and God set her free from all of that, and she responded to the gospel. Hers was a very dramatic conversion. She didn't probably even understand it at first. And sometimes that's what happens to us. We can be going along our merry way when all of a sudden our eyes are opened in some fresh way. Something profound happens to us, and we realize God is alive and well. Jesus has given his life for me. And so we see two kinds of conversions. We see the wealthy businesswoman. We see that she heard the gospel, and it changed her life. Then we see the oppressed slave girl, and we see that she felt the gospel. She experienced the gospel, and it changed her life. Two very different people who would have gone to church together at Lydia's home in that church family. But there's a third kind of person. He is a Roman jailer. And this story is told us in verse, to, uh, verse 19 and following. You know, when the gospel begins to change people's lives, it begins to change social structures. And so what happened is when this woman was set free from the evil spirit, she also was no longer any use to her masters. And her masters were very upset about that. And so they said in verse 19, when their owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans. Remember, they were a Roman colony to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to them to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. There's so much that could be said about this, but we're looking at the, ja- the third conversion. And who was it? It was a Roman jailer. A Roman jailer. We meet him there in the 23rd and 24th verses. This jailer uh, they had just been beaten. Can you imagine? They'd been abused uh, and beaten by, the, by the, uh, the, the authorities out there. And then they go to the jail, and what do they do? But the jailer shows no concern for them and puts their feet into stocks. Now imagine what that must feel like at any time, but especially if you've been beaten up and abused and, and, uh, and hurt and injured, and now you just put in that form, your legs are spread really wide, your arms are spread really wide, and they can't move. But what happens? The Roman jailer is converted. Why? We'll see in a moment. Who was this Roman jailer? He was probably a guy who was a retired Roman soldier. They were the kind of people who had this job for the most part. And, uh, um, and, and he had no concern for the person. But what did the apostle Paul and Silas do? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What was it that brought that jailer to faith? 
Was it a rational presentation of the gospel like happened to Lydia? Was it a dramatic personal experience of the gospel in his own heart? No. What is it that brought him to face? He saw the gospel, and his life was changed. He saw. He had put many people into stocks, and I bet he never had an experience where men would go into stocks and start singing praises and praising God. You think these guys are crazy. They definitely have something that's odd about them. They've got a, a perspective on life which is different. He goes to bed, and then all of a sudden this great earthquake happens. There's the, 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 the prison is torn open, um, and what does he assume? That people are going to escape. And so he begins to take his own life because his life would have been forfeit for prisoners who had escaped. It was probably more honorable for him to take his life than to suffer the humiliation of having let prisoners go. So he's about to take his life when all of a sudden he discovers that the apostle Paul says, wait, we're all here. The guy must be dumbfounded by this. Everyone? Yes, everyone. He saw the beauty. He saw the effects of the gospel in people's lives. He saw it, and when he saw it, his life was changed. You see, there is one name under heaven among which we can be saved, but there are many ways that name can come to us. It can come to us if we're like Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman, by seeking and understanding the truth of the gospel with our minds and then surrendering our hearts to him. But it can also come to us as it happened to that slave girl, when God breaks through and does something dramatic in our lives and we feel Him in a way we can't help but say, this must be the truth. Or it can be because we as a, you know, unconcerned secular person all of a sudden see someone behave in a way which makes no sense to us except for the beauty of the gospel. He saw the gospel and his life was changed. Three different kinds of of responses. The gospel appealed to each one of them differently. Let me just quickly make a few applications as we close our time together. Three 21st century applications, okay? First of all, adaptation. Adaptation. The gospel adapts to our situation. The gospel adapts to our situation. Sometimes we hear it, but we need to understand it. Sometimes we feel it, we need to experience it. Sometimes we see it, we need to see, uh, respond to what we see. The gospel adapts to our situation, and we should look to adapt the gospel to situations of others. The second principle, transformation. Transformation. The gospel transforms our hearts. Each of these people were changed. Changed. And thirdly, reconciliation. Reconciliation. The gospel breaks down barriers. We see here a wealthy woman and a slave girl meeting together in the same home. What unites them? Nothing except the gospel. We see here men and women brought together into the same footing before the cross. What unites them? Nothing but the gospel. We see a Roman soldier and a wealthy businesswoman and a slave girl, and they're all sitting in that small group at Lydia's home, and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. What brought them together? It was the gospel. You know, Martin Luther King Day is coming up soon, and we who are followers of Jesus ought to rejoice at the message of reconciliation because the gospel brings together all kinds of people. Reconciliation. I love the fact that when the apostle Paul wrote to this church, he said, I have such joy 
as I think about you all for the way that God has brought you. You know, the Apostle Paul would have grown up saying a prayer which many Jewish men say even today. Part of the Jewish prayer book is a prayer which many men pray still, many Jews pray still today. Paul would certainly have prayed it. And what is it? It was a prayer which said, among other things, this, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And here we have this story, three conversions, a Gentile Roman soldier, a slave, a woman, and a woman, a businesswoman. The Apostle Paul had a transformation of heart. I encourage you, whatever path it is by which God wants to reach you, would you respond in faith to him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that the gospel is powerful. Sometimes we need to explore it to understand its truth and respond. Other times we, we have something happen to us and we can't help but say, this must be God. And other times we see something out there. But it's always about Jesus. For as the apostles themselves said, as Luke records it in Acts chapter 4, for neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. Help us to respond in faith to Jesus. Thank you that apostle, that the Paul and Silas refused to leave that jail. They would not allow themselves to go free and have that jailer die because of it. Why? Because they knew that someone else had died for them to be free. They were free wherever they were. Help us to respond to that freedom. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.